Welcome back, everyone, to Torah Today Ministries and our continued series called Tehillim Talks, where we go through the Psalms. And this episode, we find ourselves in Psalm 12. Now, when you read Psalm 12, you should go back and read 11. And when you read 11, you should come forward and read 12, because they really go together as a matched set. Psalm 11 decries the the the, the moral corruption of the culture. It asks the question, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous man do? And it just... Uh, it's, you sense the grief David is expressing because it seems like all the things we relied on, they've just collapsed because of the wickedness of people. Well, now in Psalm 12, he gives us the mechanism for that collapse, which is evil speech, or in Hebrew we say, Lashan hara. Lashan means the tongue, hara means uh, the wicked, the wicked tongue, wicked speech. So let's just jump right in. It's another short psalm, but just jam-packed with meaning. This, again, is to the choir master, according to the Sheminit. This is the second of only two psalms that uh, are for the Sheminit, which means the eighth or the eight-stringed harp. The other psalm is Psalm 6. You can go back, and I made a few comments on Sheminit back there. And it begins this way. Save Adonai, or rescue Adonai, for the devoted one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. So again, we know there are always some faithful, there are always some righteous, but sometimes it seems like there are none, and maybe we're the only ones left. And that first word, save, or rescue, is the word hoshia. It is from the same root as Yeshua, which means salvation or rescue. And Hoshia is where we get the word Hosanna. In Psalm 118, it says Hoshia Na, which means please save us, please save. And so Hosanna, Hoshia Na, comes from this word Hoshia, uh, which is the root, as I said, for salvation or rescue and the name of Yeshua, whose name is salvation. Now we're going to see this word, the root of this word, come up again near the end of the psalm, and that's why I've marked it in green. For the devoted one is gone, the faithful or the faithful man has vanished from among the children of man. The word for devoted one is the word chasid, and this can be translated the pious one, or the man of loving-kindness, because chasid comes from the word chesed. We've talked about that before. It's a beautiful word. We don't have any word in English that quite captures the fullness and the grace and the beauty of this word. But the definition I use is the one I got from uh, Michael Card's book uh, called Chesed, and he defines it this way. It's when someone gives everything to one who deserves nothing. And so Hasid is a person who loves his neighbor, who gives to others, who gives sacrificially of his time, his strength, his possessions. And it's a person who, instead of trying to get everything for himself, is giving himself away to others. And so a good way to translate this is the one who is selfless. selfless. And again, 
This is the root of the word Hasidic, uh, like the ultra-Orthodox Jewish, uh, who are called the Hasidic Jews. And the faithful is the word Amunim, Amunim from the word Amuna, which means faith. That's where we get the word Amen. Uh, amen means I'm believing this is going to happen. I'm trusting that you hear my prayer, Lord. And so we say Amen. So the trustworthy. And so David decries that it seems like there are no people who are selfless anymore. There are no people who practice real trustworthiness and faith anymore. And we live in a day where these two kinds of people are becoming more and more of a, a rare thing. And he says they vanish from among the children of man. And the word there is the word Adam, not Enosh. So from the, the, the race of the image bearers, it's like where have the selfless and the trustworthy gone? Everyone utters vanities to his neighbor. Just, he mutters emptiness. Um, in fact, we looked at a word for empty, the word rake, earlier. I, I think it was Psalm 4 or 5. And it talks about people who meditate on emptiness. But this word here is one that means more nothingness at all. I mean, if, you have, if you're empty, at least there's a container there that's empty, but this is just like a, there's a nothingness. They just speak nothing. It's not worth the air and the energy it took to speak the words. It's just nothingness. Everyone utters nothingness to his neighbor. With smooth lips and a double heart they speak. That word smooth is very interesting. It is found again in verse 3 as we'll see. But um, I was thinking about this word. It's the word chalak. And it's the same word described, uh, used to describe the smooth stones that David used to slay Goliath. S beware of smooth things because you can kill giants. You can also destroy your neighbor with smooth words that are very deadly. And a double heart that they speak. In Hebrew, that phrase double heart is balev valev. Balev valev means with a heart and a heart. In other words, there are two hearts at work here. There is the heart they want to express, but then there's the real heart, the dark, selfish, wicked heart they want to hide. Be careful of people who are double hearted. No, at James, in James it says that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the word there is actually double-souled, double-souled. But this is something that's even worse than that. This is a double heart. There's a heart they express, but then there's the true heart they want to keep hidden. So they speak with a heart and a heart. There's an old Indian expression about someone speaking with a forked tongue. It's the tongue of the serpent, and the tongue is forked. It's got a left and a right. It's like one part saying one thing, and the other part is saying something else. And it says, may Adonai cut off all smooth lips. There's our word again. The tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue, we will become powerful. Our lips are with us. Who is Lord over us? But what I find interesting, after I'd read this through a few times, is 
there's no word for words being used here in this part of the psalm. It talks about lips, talks about tongues, and it talks about the quality of the things that come out of their mouths. They're, they're empty, they're smooth, but there's no words that are described. It's almost like the things they're saying don't deserve the word word. Because words are powerful and words should mean something. It was with words that God created the universe. And we know that his word is living and active and sharper than a twedged sword. Our words should express one heart. What we say and what we believe and feel should be one. We, our our message and and the messenger, we ourselves should be one thing. And yet these people's words are not even described. They're not even worth describing. But it does give us some quotes. And I label these A, B, and C because each one is worth looking at very closely by itself. First of all, with our tongue, we will become powerful. You know, when I read that, I think about the politicians today because it seems like most of the world hears what they say and thinks, well, that's not true. A child can see through that lie. And yet these people who run the world continue to speak things that are obvious falsehoods. And then you've got a news media that though there's always been bias in the media for hundreds and hundreds of years, it seems like now they just make up stuff. Things that are news, they don't report. And then they'll make up things and report that as if that is news. They just say things and think they're going to conquer and they're going to... uh, make the world go the direction they want it to go and follow their own biases. And they really think they're going to get control just because they speak things they want to be true. The second statement is, our lips are with us. Our lips are with us. That's a very odd thing. I mean, if they're not with you, then who are they with? Our lips are with us, but it's almost as if they have faith in their lips as in a weapon. You know, you've maybe seen in a, a, a show where a guy will say, I've got a gun and I'm not afraid to use it. Well, it's like these people put all their faith in the weapon of their lips. Our lips are with us. They're going to say what we want them to say. And people are going to listen. And it's going to affect the world and impact the world and make the world the way we want. And then they say, Who's Lord over us? Who is Adon? Adon is Lord or Master. That's where we get the word Adonai, my Master, my Lord. And who is Lord over us? You know, when you start speaking lies enough, you start believing those lies yourself, and then you forget there is a God of truth. There is a truth teller. That there is a God who runs the world and before whom you will stand and give an account of your life and of every idle word that you've spoken. But when we give ourselves over to falsehood, we definitely forget God. But when we invest our lives and commit our lives to truth, God is so close to us. God hates lies. He hates deception. The lie is the invention of our enemy. He is a liar and the father of it, the scriptures tell us. God is truth. His word is truth. 
Everything about God is truth. So to the degree we speak things that are not true, to that degree we distance ourselves from the God who is true. And then we come to verses 5 and 6. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says Adonai. I will place him in safety. Now there's that word that shares the same root with the very first word of the psalm. Remember the psalm Hosea? Well, this is the word Yesha. I'll make sure I pronounce that. Yes, Yesha, which uh, means I'm going to uh, place him in a place of rescue, of safety, of salvation. So they've called upon the Lord, Hoshia Adonai. So he says, I will. I'll place you in a place of rescue and safety. For which he pants. Do you feel like you're just panting for rescue, panting for safety, panting for the world to change? Well, eventually God arises. He stands up from his throne. Remember back in Psalm 11, he's seated on his throne. There's a time when he arises up. He stands up and he has to step into the world. And oh, may God have mercy on those he comes to deal with. The sayings of Adonai are pure sayings. They're tahor, they're pure. They're clean. Like silver refined at the finest smelting earth. Now, a lot of translations will put in uh, the best furnaces on earth or the furnace on the ground. This is a cultural illusion uh, to smelting. Smelting is when you take ore, in this case, silver ore, and you melt it. Well, you have to melt it in something that can withstand the heat. And so they would find very fine earth. I think clay, but don't quote me on that. But they would take uh, an earthen vessel. I remember when I was teaching, we would sometimes melt down lead and we even did copper at one time. We have to get it pretty hot to get that to melt. But uh, we had a vessel that's made out of, look like pumice. It was very, very heavy. It's made off some kind of stone. And you'd put the pieces of metal in there and begin to heat them up, and eventually they would liquefy. And then, as they turned to a liquid, there would be impurities that would rise to the top. And you'd have a tool, you'd reach in and scrape that off and, and dump it off to the side. That was called the slag. It would just, and they keep rising to the top. And there were powders we could put in that would cause more of the impurities to to come together and rise to the top. You'd scrape that off. And here it's talking about silver refined and the finest smelting earth, purified seven times. Seven's the number of perfection. Well, maybe I'm making too much out of this imagery, but if God's words are like silver, and the word for silver is kesef, it's the same word that means money. In, uh, in the Bible and is the word for money in modern Hebrew. So if silver is the wealth of God's word, then what is this pot of dirt in which it is tested? Well, I know we're made out of the soil. God formed and fashioned our bodies out of the dirt. He's placed his word within us. And I know that all of us go through the heat and when we go through the heat, we either cast God's word behind our backs and do things our own way. Or his word becomes more and more pure in our lives. We cling to it 
with everything we have because we realize it alone is true. <clears throat> so if we have faith in his word as we go through the fire, his word becomes pure in our lives and the slag and the dross that we mix with it is burned away. Show me a man or a woman who's been through the fire of testing and persecution. And I'll show you someone whose speech is pure. I'll show you where the message and the messenger are totally one. <coughs> Excuse me. And then we close with verses 7 and 8. You, Adonai, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. You will guard us from this generation forever. We live in a wicked generation. And maybe just because I'm older and I've seen several generations come and go. But I've never seen one quite like this. The 60s were pretty awful, but the people were causing trouble in the 60s were definitely the minority. But it seems, and maybe it's just me, but it seems like cultural rot has become something that is practiced and endorsed and embraced by the majority now. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. But we do have God's promise. He will guard us from this generation forever. And if you're going to memorize a verse from the psalm, may I suggest you memorize verse 8, the last verse. Because if this does not describe the atmosphere of our culture today, I don't know what does. The wicked strut all around when vileness is exalted among the sons of man. Let me read that again. The wicked strut all around when vileness is exalted among the sons of man. We live in a time when vileness is exalted. Where good is called evil and evil is called good. And the more perverse the spiritual rot, the more abominable the sin, the more it is paraded and put on the internet and flaunted among everyone else. <coughs> Excuse me. I only do this when I'm sitting here in front of the camera talking to you. But um, we do see wickedness strutting around. And we do see vileness exalted. So it's time to resist. We need to refuse vileness and moral compromise. We need to be righteous people. We need to be chassad. We need to be, practice chassad and be a chassid. We need to be people who are selfless and people trustworthy and faithful to be amuna. And uh, this is what the world needs. This will make us lights in a dark world and in a vile culture. So it's amazing to think that these psalms written about 3,000 years ago are so pertinent and so timely today. So I, I hope this psalm is a blessing. I hope it's an encouragement because if nothing else, you realize, yeah, people have been going through this for an awful long time. Is there anything new under the sun? But it also gives us an understanding of, of how this vile culture works. And it works because of lies. People believing and speaking empty lies and promoting lies, investing in lies. And when we do that, there's just simply no foundation upon which to build a culture. So, until next time, when we come together to look at Psalm 13, I wish you shalom and may God bless.
over and out.